0: The Incomparable, number six hundred thirty-two, September twenty twenty-two.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. It's the summer of time travel, and it's coming to an end—or is it just beginning? It's Time Bandits from nineteen eighty-one, directed by Terry Gilliam, uh, co-written by Michael Palin. It's it's, a—it's—it's not a Monty Python movie. How about that? <laughs> it, it, it's from people who are in Monty Python, but it's, it's not a Monty Python movie, except for the brief segments where it sort of is. <laughs> it's, it's half a Monty Python movie. Mm. Uh, half joining, of them are there. Joining me to talk about Time Bandits are the following wonderful people. Monty Ashley is here. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. This is a... This is a movie I saw a lot and I have no objectivity about. (laughs) Okay, great. I feel like that's an important role to have on this episode. My wife also agrees with you about that, by the way. We had a little spirited conversation before the podcast. David J. Lohr is also here. Hello. Or I am Nya, Jason. Or I am Nya. Annette Weirstra has been to one of the filming locations in this movie.
1: It's true. I have. And I was very excited to see it.
2: And Shelley Brisbane also joins us. This is a, a relatively recent movie by Shelley's standards, I think.
3: <laughs> I'm going to turn you inside out over a long period of time, Jason.
2: <laughs> it's only 41 years. Uh, it, it is only 41 it's years. It's is a, We're here to celebrate the 41st yeah. anniversary of, of Time Bandits. That's <laughs> what this is all about. A film in which Sean Connery is built second. i'm a big fan of big stars having small parts and being billed prominently in the movie i just love i've always loved that so so yes time bandits 1981 apparently terry gilliam wanted to make brazil and he explained the plot of brazil to the producers and they're like <laughs> they're "What? Like, what? <laughs> huh? so it, he said, i'll make a family and, and, film and if you say if you if you've seen brazil you understand a movie i actually love you understand why if you tried to explain it they would go what so he said how about a family film a heartwarming family film uh time bandits and he made this about a A ragtag group of little people who steal a cosmic map that allows them to go from time period to time period through time windows or time doors or time holes, as it's called. Perfect name for it, the time hole. (laughs) And along the way, they pick up a, a modern kid from his bedroom. And he tags along as they bop around from place from historic place to historic place, having various adventures with historical figures until the movie is near the end, at which point they must finally have the final segment where they face the bad guy played by David Warner. Again, another appearance by the late David Warner. We, we another shout out to him. He had a lot of time travel movies in his resume and we watched two of them. So I wanted to start before we talk about the plot a little bit or what, what passes for the plot, uh, with with <laughs> I, I had a couple of observations. I'm curious what you people uh, think about them. One of them is, um, as we were watching this movie, uh, my wife says to me, you know, this movie is a lot like the Muppet movie. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, it is in the sense that it's a lot of sort of self-contained places, self-contained segments, featuring cameos... <laughs> by people who are like, we'll get you in for two days. One day, maybe. And then they move on to the next segment. It's very segmented. It's kind of just like taking a a journey with our main characters as they bop around from place to place to place. And it also, to take us back to the beginning or was it the end of the summer of time travel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is... Really, very similar in terms of the concept here, with, including both have Napoleons, um, yep. but just very, very similar in terms of that. So, those are two movies that this uh, that this uh, th- this movie reminded me of. I mean, am I wrong? Am I
4: right? Well, no, I, I I think you're right. It is very much, uh, you know, I mean, I can see Roald Dahl as an influence. I can see mm-hmm. the Muppets as an influence. Uh, when when my twenty year old came out and he, he saw like five minutes of it and went. They remind me of the Minions, but annoying and walked out. <laughs> I was like, eh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it is chaos. It is it is a little bit like making fun of the Pythons in a way, um, you know, six insane little people, um, yeah, they have their own,
2: their yeah. own comedy troupe with yeah. a map,
4: cosmic <laughs> and, map. you know, it's it's such a strange movie, but, you know, it's kind of fun. I do love how by the end, I mean, is it entirely coherent?
3: Eh,
4: but I love how lot by to the expect.
3: end. Coherence is a lot mm-hmm. to Well,
5: especially from sense. time Terry travel. Gilliam. Yeah. Coherence is overrated.
3: Mm. I, I agree, Monty. I 100% <laughs> agree. I don't demand yeah. coherence from this movie at all. I really don't. Nor mm-hmm. should
4: you. But I but I love how it kind of tries in the design of the fortress that they wind up in and the just the subtle like hey, we're going to like finish,
2: but it's 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 a sketch movie. So it's still a sketch. One of the things Lauren said to me, and again this is this is like Monty, this is a beloved movie from her her youth. And she said, I had not really thought about how little plot there is in the movie. It really just bumps from place to place to place. And then she was making an observation of like, well, like the bad guy. Do we need the bad guy? And she says, well, wait a second. Now I'm arguing that there should be even less plot. Maybe that's what I'm arguing here. And I think maybe she's right. It's like, it's, the plot doesn't matter, folks. It, it exactly. doesn't really matter. It's it's, just, it's picaresque in the it's best picaresque. sense. Yeah. The
5: plot matters so little that God has to show up yes. multiple
2: times to say, guys, guys, let's, let's go. Let's go, please. <laughs> Yeah. And at the end of the movie, while there is a climax, right, it's really just more the end segment is now we're going to visit David Warner in hell or wherever. And that that is resolved by God appearing and saying, OK, we're done. It's done. the fortress of ultimate darkness. It is. That's what it is.
3: But on a, on a broader level, it's Every movie where a ten-year-old or twelve-year-old boy is the avatar, and then crazy stuff happens. Yes. I mean, that could be Home Alone. It could be Christmas Story. It could be anything where the ten-year-old boy is like our ultimate, uh, you know, we the people kind of guy. Which I I have sort of feminist objections to, not in terms of this movie because I actually really enjoyed this movie a lot. But it, then you sort of go into the Terry Gilliam kaleidoscope and you just make it insane <laughs> and crazy. Back and watch it as and, as and as I'm as like, I <laughs> like, I don't care. I don't care that we have another 10-year-old boy avatar movie. This is just fun and I'm going to enjoy it.
5: Well,
4: well, and it's, it's who, very heavily implied that, you know, by the end it is kind of all his own fantasy because right. it's his obsessions uh, mm-hmm. or, or is, is it? it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But even even the trap is the thing that's set up in the first scene, yes. right? And it's it, but it's kind of delightful how it works both ways. Does Kevin contribute to the plot?
5: In any way, I guess he comes up with the sleeping potion to stab yeah. in the giant's head. Aside from that, if he weren't in the movie at all, would anything change? Well, he's the one who stops
4: evil. He's the one who makes them go get the map. He, he's the one who makes them go do it. That doesn't. Yeah, matter. but they
2: wouldn't have done it if it weren't for him. In in the, having not seen this movie in a while, I'd forgotten that in the climax, they, like they all run to the trap, and Kevin is not fooled. Right. And right. I think, oh well this is the right, this is obviously how this movie is going to end, is they're fooled, but Kevin isn't, and then Kevin's gonna solve everything. And the movie's like, Oh no, then they then they just got Kevin too and put him yeah. in a cage. I'm like, Well wait I a guess second. <laughs> he took that picture of the map, so
4: that's something. Right? And that's that's a very clever Trick.
3: I mean, Kevin is the POV character, but the other thing I like about what they do with Kevin is that you you think he's going to stay with the people he initially starts with, like the little, little people, right? You think mm-hmm. he's going to stay with that little band. But at some point, he's just like, no, I, mm. I want to go over here and he does it a lot. He's just like I I'm interested in this shiny thing over here and these people over here, which is often not the case. Often the, the the POV character is dragged along with the same group of people and then he encounters other people but he always ends up back with his his family of the movie. And I kind of enjoyed that Kevin even early on sort of has a mind of his own and says I'm going to hang out with Sean Connery for a while. Yeah.
4: Yeah, cuz like they they drag him away from Robin Hood and he's like, yeah. but I wanted to hang, I out, hang out with him. Out with he's him. one of my heroes. Yeah. And so so when it comes to Agamemnon,
5: he's I've like, yeah, been I'm totally adopted staying.
2: by the king. Let right. me stay. <laughs> yeah. He immediately
5: has no interest in going back to his own family.
4: And no. rightly so. Not at all. And that's and that's the Twilight Zone Philip at the end where
2: maybe it's not all in his yeah. head. <laughs> well, it's, you know, um, it's so nice. But it did it, it and also because of the time period, it does remind me of a bunch of eighties fantasy movies like Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal and Willow. Mm-hmm. Um and it has a lot of those same same elements and it has that kind of look. It's a it's a beautiful looking beautiful and weird looking movie. It feels again, very eighties fantasy, but I, in his original review of it, Roger Ebert said he he didn't think he'd ever seen a movie live up to its production sketches as well as yeah. this movie did. Yeah. And it is, it oh, is just brilliant. beautifully designed. Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
3: Ebert didn't particularly like it. Like the 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 reviews, many reviewers liked it a lot more than Ebert yeah. did.
2: Yeah. So. The, the Ebert Ebert's review does express something that I felt about it, which is, I, I, and I think I actually think that review is fascinating um, because it's it, it's him learning a lesson that I think he maybe applied later on his career. Which is he he came out of the movie and said, "I'm confused because I like the production design, but the story is so frenetic and moving from place to place to place that it never really gets a chance to really kind of get grab hold." And 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 he says, "Then I read the review in the New Republic of it and." He he said roger it's a children's movie <laughs> and i went oh oh of course and i think maybe roger ebert was going in thinking monty python troop it's gonna be it's this english fantasy movie he like he compares it to raiders of the lost ark at one point and it's like <laughs> interesting interesting awesome. but i do agree that the best lens through which to view time bandits is that it's a it's a a boy's own story and it is a movie for kids and it is best viewed in in that sort of like just relax and watch the pretty pictures move in front of the screen because that that's what it's clearly i think what its intent is is to be a silly absurd movie that kids will love and i think it is that and i think lots of kids over the years have loved it for that reason
3: but what helps with that i think is that Kevin is not, and and I'll give the director credit for that because it's hard to know with child actors, but he's not precocious. Like he's a normal kid and he's interested in the things he's interested in, but he's not like acting and trying to be adorable in the way that you would if you're trying to appeal to a more adult audience. He's just, again, he's the POV character with some interesting differences, but he doesn't, he's not annoying in the least.
4: And for instance, I watched with uh, my 17 year old who loved it. And he had never seen it before. And and something that, I mean, I haven't seen it since the 80s, but I did see it a lot in the 80s. I saw it when it came out. And something I hadn't really ever processed until t- this, this time was, you know, the Lego block aesthetic in the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. And then, you know, the chessboard style and just how everything was very toyetic, as they say in marketing now. Um, and and then, and then, how that develops into the final moments of the movie, but it was just sort of like, "Oh, yeah, those are Lego pieces." Huh? <laughs> yeah, That's really cool.
5: Yeah, you can see all that stuff on his uh, bedroom floor at the beginning of the movie. Right. right.
4: Right, Mm -hmm. and then at the very end, when he's rescued,
2: yeah, and that's one of the fun things about the. I mean, we joked about it, but like one of the fun things about the ending is that everything that he's got in on his walls is what happens to him in the movie. Yeah, and and so it's like, oh, it was just a dream. Maybe as he was choking on the smoke from the fire in his house, and yet, and yet then his parents blew up, and and then then his parents blew up, (laughs) and then his parents touched the evil rock that's in their (laughs) toaster oven and explode, leaving only their shoes behind. And you're like, that is a heck of an or was it? Right and and honestly, uh, for him,
4: that's a happy ending.
2: Yeah, it is. Um. Right. Well, it's not as happy as being <laughs> taken away by Sean Connery, whether either as Agamemnon or the fire captain, for that the matter. Fire captain.
1: Well, that's the ending I sort of ex- expected at that time. I had right. my notes because I, I this is the first time I'm watching it, so Amazing. I was like, I had no idea. I kind of knew what I was getting into just seeing a lot of the Monty Python actors and stuff, and I. I was like, had in my notes, I bet Sean Connery is Sir Arthur or Lancelot. Because it's like, you could see the cameo <laughs> stuff. And I was like, nope, he's some sort of gladiator he's, or something. Yeah. He's Agamemnon. But, he's
2: king Agamemnon yeah. of the, of yeah, the groups, yeah. But I
1: was just like, the ending I want. I was like, oh, Kevin, I get it. Like, your parents are kind of trash. You should yeah. stay in this with these king and queen and like, stay there.
5: I want to talk about that for a second, because... Terry Gilliam has real, real contempt for these normal middle class people. Oh yes, like they watch game shows. They watch
2: game shows. They like material things. There's, and, there's nothing more you- d- damning too than the the choice of having them sit on furniture that's covered in clear plastic <laughs> which <laughs> covers. I loved. Which is yeah. such a detail, though, of like. The, that, they, that they are so proud of their furniture that they won't sit on it and instead sit on the plastic on top of it. And I've known people yeah. who, who oh, yeah. have done That's that. That's like an 80s thing. It's a very right? 80s thing. And, right?
4: and it, I mean, growing up in Florida in a retirement community at the time, I knew a lot of people who had plastic covers on their furniture.
3: Yeah. But, and obviously this predates it, but it's it's very Harry Potter. It's like you yeah, have yeah. the muggles mm. and then you have this kid who goes off into fantasy world and we get to blow the muggles up at the end.
5: Well, what I am <laughs> saying is what's so bad about these people? Yeah. I think yeah. Gilliam really piles on the contempt and then you get evil who's all computers. <laughs> yes. and <laughs> Tell me about Wh-
4: computers. What is your and- problem,
5: Terry? They lay off these normal people for one
2: second. So I, I don't. I, I'm curious about that too, Monty. I feel like it's it's a it's Terry Gilliam being the you know subversive guy saying the bourgeoisie are the problem, right? Yeah, like, he,
3: right. See, I don't but, mind it, especially in 1981. I yeah, my really problem don't. is that
2: he doesn't show
5: anything bad about these things. He's yeah, just not- look at these guys.
2: Yeah, I with mean, they're,
5: they're a little short with
2: him, but they're not they, they don't seem to be terrible parents. they're just they, they they would they want their kid to go to bed so that they can watch their shows. Right. That's I, it. That's their crime.
1: Right. I mean, same, right? That's their crime. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I mean, Jim Broadbent is hosting a show. Let's watch it. Let's see what happens. That blew my mind
4: because I didn't know who he was in the 80s. But no, immediately
5: yeah. I was like,
2: oh. That's Jim Broadbent.
5: Yes. So well, I guess what I'm saying is that, that the social commentary of this movie really falls flat for me.
2: I I I agree. <laughs> they they are a, they are an easy. I mean, like like I think Annette said, it is Harry Potter in the in that sense? Except the Harry Potter aunt and uncle are are kind of awful and cousin, but yeah. here they're just. I, I think their greatest crime is that they're boring suburbanites. And that mm-hmm. from the young boy's perspective, he's dreaming of bigger things and broader canvases and all those things that are on the walls. And what is a greater crime to a, an 11 year old boy than, um, that his home is boring. <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. what they're going for here, but you're, yeah, but you're right. Then, they're not like, bad people. They're just, you should have gone in for the toaster.
1: Man, I, I yeah. just don't Play necessarily off. think they deserve to like explode, die. Right? Yeah. I
3: think the parts at the beginning are fine. Like, I don't, I yeah. don't have an issue at all. That was a with, harsh ending because you can tell they're roasting them at the beginning because they're saying they're 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 valuing material and trivial things, and sure. you can see that that's. But then why why blow them up at the end? <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's little much. It is a very Rowl doll
2: to bring back yeah, yeah, yes. dolls. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a very yeah. Kind of cruel mm-hmm. roll doll thing to do at the end, right? Wow she's like and then they died
3: <laughs> but it's it's easier it's it's much easier to blow up characters that you haven't seen in an hour and a half it's like oh yeah for, i for so. cuz you know you start a movie like this and you know that kevin is going to leave the world that he begins in and you you're sort of thinking as somebody who's watched enough movies well are we going to see these parents ever again at really? all probably the very last scene he'll be in his bed it'll be like it was all a dream but no <laughs> that's not what happens
5: we saw them in the maze
2: too mm. that's yeah. right
4: they were, they were part of
5: the temptation. Mm, yeah, fair they point, are. fair
2: point. They, were, they, were one, they won the, the greatest object in the, in the universe, which is that refrigerator.
4: Well, well it's no. the, the whole Obvious centerette. centerette.
2: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Get it? Get
4: it?
3: <laughs> I, I love all the English appliance yeah. terms that I did, wasn't familiar with before. That was great.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. it feels like it was a sketch that they just never found a place for in Python, but it's mm-hmm. it's apparently called Your Money or Your Life, and as part of the, the bet, as part of the deal is, you know, they're actually dangling your loved one over a vat that they're going to drop him into if you right. don't get the price right.
2: There's that bit where they get That's it wrong insane. and you see, and his legs are kicking in the vat yeah. and he's submerged <laughs> in the vat of foam or whatever it is. Yeah. Pudding. Yeah.
5: One of his legs is in a cast, which you wonder, is that, <laughs> was that from an earlier
2: round? <laughs> around Almost yeah. Most certainly, yeah. Yep.
4: Yeah. Yeah, And, what a and Broadbent does it with such glee. Oh.
2: I really like Terry Gilliam in general as a director. I think that this is, um, is this his first? This is,
4: I think it's his second, because he directed- the two Terrys nope. directed uh, one yeah, of the, yeah. the so Python Monty movies.
2: Python and the Holy Grail, right? But that's right. Uh, and and then did he Jap- direct Jabberwocky? Walky? He also yeah. directed. So it's a ve- yeah. certainly so very a third, very early in his career. And then he would go on to make a bunch of fascinating movies, including Brazil and Twelve Monkeys, and uh, the, uh, so many. Darren Munchausen, yeah, uh, Fisher King, Fear and Loathing. Like there's there's lots of movies that he's made, but this is early on where he's sort of getting out under the shadow of a uh, Monty Python. I, I like I like his style. Um and I think this movie has style. There are a couple of moments where there are little, like like little interstitial sketches where I feel like, oh, Terry Gilliam. <laughs> right. Like it's a moment where the <laughs> like the guy who made the interstitial sketches made the movie so of course there are little bits here and there and and there's just some of the absurdity there are moments that do feel very monty python-esque i think in in part because it's written by michael palin and terry gilliam um and not just the sketches with michael palin although those are and and shelly duvall by the way (laughs) oh
4: they're so good together
2: i know right are, are great they're very different from the rest of the movie but they, they are they are really good i just enjoy all of the michael palin stuff where he where he doesn't quite get to what he's you know it's that is that need i say it need i say it kind of thing that happens uh, you the know, problem my, with my oh my, yes you know right
3: and the 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 expressions and the way they play mm-hmm. off each other is I mean this whole cast I adore this cast so much oh my god
2: I'm not sure the kids are are gonna get a laugh out of uh, a, a out of time traveling people no, knocking no. off his toupee <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it I, I
4: it worked for me in 1981
2: okay well yeah. there you go I mean yeah.
4: I, I love also, I love John Cleese as this, and and apparently he was inspired by an, a, a royal like shaking hands at, yeah, a, at a handshake royal right, match, right, right, right. and just going From down the talk. line. And it is so beautiful. It's such a great concept of Robin Hood.
1: I also really loved how the thievery worked throughout as a thread. (laughs) And every single time they'd steal something, usually successfully, and yet be thwarted in the keeping of it. Mm. And uh, like that sort of thread of like picking up and losing and picking up and losing and picking up and losing was very amusing and like I think it was things like that that, despite the lack of plot, gives the whole thing this nice coherence of like you're really rooting for them to like leave with this massive treasure, <laughs> and in the end they get nothing every time. Yeah. And it's well, it's part just, of the like, reason that of works fun. For me,
3: part of the reason that works for me is that that ensemble is so good. That little group. Mm-hmm. And the way oh, they're yeah. directed, and the way they act together, and the way they play off each other, and the way they include or don't include Kevin at in, in, in any particular time—it's just delightful right. to watch.
2: So it's it's uh to be to be clear, so because we, we haven't mentioned them before, it's people you've heard of. I think Kenny Baker and David Rappaport being the the ones that you've you or that i've heard of but there's also what malcolm dixon mike Edmonds, jack purvis and tiny ross who are the other members of this of this time bandit band who are are and again my english is not uh my english is not so great no my english knowledge of class and all that but it seems to me like they're they're lower class uh crooks they're they're you're fi- you're yeah. you're your, your, right out of oliver kind of thing where they're mm-hmm. like you know we're gonna we're gonna we, we got this map and now we're gonna steal stuff and they're and yet they don't really know what they're doing because they just got the map and they've never <laughs> stolen stuff before and at one point they're po- it is pointed out to them by the supreme being i believe that you're you're terribly bad robbers but they're gonna give it a try <laughs> they at that point they don't i
5: mean they took napoleon for a lot that's uh-huh. true Most of these guys are also in Flash Gordon. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: Um, I would say that Jack Purvis is the best actor aside from David Rappaport. David Rappaport, of course, a legitimate actor. He had a sitcom. Uh, Jack Purvis, who plays Wally, he's the one with the amazing pirate hat. Um, He was the Chief Jawa in Star Wars and the Chief Ugnaught in Empire Strikes Back. Two iconic (laughs) roles where he didn't get to speak. Mm. But... Anytime they need someone to push back against Randall, he's the one. Like, he's the one who's angry at him in front of the uh, Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. He's the one who's crying at the end. Um, This time through, I was really enjoying Jack Purvis, and I was noticing how much Vermin and Strutter were in the background.
2: Yes. (laughs) Mm.
5: And uh, Og is the one who was in the uh, safety dance video
4: but their their chemistry turns on into a pig. the whole yes in both no, um, mm. <laughs> the chemistry between the six of them, though, just as a group. I mean, they feel like a unit that's they been do. together yes. for, you know, they don't feel like they were just shoved together for this movie, I, which is kind of
2: impressive. I absolutely. So there's the, there's a moment where they the, where there are the two doors and and Kevin goes in the other door and he ends up <laughs> it, with King Agamemnon, who, who who Sean Connery, who adopts him and takes him back to his in, in his palace and. And there's that scene where they're having their, the entertainment and it's the little outfits of the, of the people riding horses and mm-hmm. then the people jump off the horses and everybody goes, oh! cause they, I guess I think they thought that there was one person, but it's actually six people or three people. And they thought it was six people. And I, I love that moment so much. Cause it's like, It's our guys. It's our guys. They are. It's our buddies. They're here to make more trouble because that's what, they're like lovable scamps. They are, they are amateurs. They're agents of chaos, but they, oh man, they are agents of chaos, but they are delightful. (laughs) They are really, they are really, I also enjoy when they're, um, drinking champagne and smoking cigars on the deck of the Titanic, which they don't know is the Titanic. That's also (laughs) a really great moment where Kevin is super grumpy and they're just like, Hey, we win. We're living large. We're, we're, we're doing it. We're living the dream of being time bandits.
5: I have a question about them on the Titanic Uh, Quick show of hands Who thinks they landed on the Titanic As opposed to buying
4: tickets to be on the Titanic They do talk about something not being on the ticket ticket. Which was kind of odd so I just always assumed they landed on the Titanic. they just but stole
5: the ticket. If they <laughs> then, landed on the Titanic, where did the tuxedos come
2: from?
4: Exactly. <laughs> and and why would Vincent and Pansy, why are they on the Titanic? So maybe they land on an so, English ship. So
2: what you're saying is there's another movie maybe. that we could make that is The Adventures <laughs> right. of the Time Bandits before they got on the Titanic. That's right. And on the Titanic, really, up
5: until this moment. Yeah. They landed on England. They had all this money. They converted it into cash. They made themselves some real slick tuxedos. Then they said,
2: well, let's go on a cruise. Yeah. To New York. The movie because is I called Time Banded gonna need- Titanic. It's going to be great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Would watch. I just need to point out how many people fit on the door
4: for Titanic <laughs> yeah. fans.
1: There were a lot of people on that door.
4: Yeah.
2: But they're um, small. Uh doesn't matter. Actually, that's what it is. They're and also not it didn't seem as quite Kate as cold as 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 yeah, as Leo thought yes. it was. I love it. There is David was about to mention that there's apparently a uh, a time bandits T V series in development, although it's been development for several years. So, been, so we'll see. It's if, been there for a while. Apple if, if, supposedly is gonna do it
4: with Taika Y T D
2: as the showrunner, and there was a rumor that they were gonna get Peter Dinklage to be the lead, but who knows? Yeah, it's gonna happen. But yeah, I mean, this is this is a
4: movie where like most things, uh, even even in your most insane farces, you'll have like one agent of chaos. Maybe you have two. Oh. In this, you have like six of them in a trench coat. Uh-huh. Right. Like- and that's
3: that's a huge degree of difficulty because he could easily have done it with two or three. And he didn't. And obviously, you have character bits for the others, others that are not the leaders of the six to do, but you don't really need the six. But it's super fun that you have the six. And Kevin, at a lot of points, kind of... When they, especially early on, when they've sort of grabbed him and they're just taking him in, he kind of gets lost. He's just like one of them. And then all of a sudden he pops out. It's like, oh, this is our avatar. This is our POV character in amongst all these, this large number of crazy people. And until you start meeting other people, I guess you need that amount of people for the, the chaos to ensue, but you don't need them later on because there's a lot a lot going on. So it's, I'm impressed with with Gilliam's ability to sort of manage all that in a way that's still fun.
4: And it's kind of brilliant to to design it that way. Because it's all shot from the same perspective, right? These are all people who are Kevin's size, which a you don't often see that in a movie, and and b it allows the camera angles to just stay with Kevin.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, you know, and, and it makes it a kid's adventure, which
3: I assumed is why they did it, right? Because yeah, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, th- yeah, there's a lot of issues, not only with camera angles, but just with. Obvious adults looking down or dealing with a kid as a, yeah. as a much inferior being because Kevin is part of the adventure. Very quickly, they know he's a kid. Like it's funny because when they find him in the in the bedroom, they don't immediately realize he's a kid. But then they realize he's a kid. But still, it's the same. Like, come on, we're, we're all gonna do the thing.
2: Yeah, that's a nice moment where they're like, "Oh, it's not him. It's just a kid." Let's ju- <laughs> let's jump on top of him now. <laughs> it's think, not God. I think the dynamic <laughs> is is. Good. And I think it's one of the reasons that that six little people doing this is the dynamic of it allows them to be rougher. In a way, if it was Mm -hmm. just like a bunch of big, burly, tall men, and then this little kid, I think they would have to be kind of like a little gentler. And because it's the it's these time bandits, they I don't know. There's something about it where they're they're just a little less intimidating and can therefore be a little bit rougher and tougher. That I think I, I think it works. It's a very, uh, very clever idea, and 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 they're and they're so charming. All, yeah, all the of them. act
5: the act they do for Napoleon would be very different if they were <laughs> you know six feet tall.
3: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. and it it does it makes it a much more accessible movie to kids, not only because of just, just literally the height, but just because you don't have that sort of stricture of, if they're all adults, somehow we're looking after this kid. We're having to, you know, do we want to send it back? What do we want to do with this kid? But they, they, they are on equal height footing yeah. and they end up being on equal character footing as well.
2: Right, and they're the agents of chaos instead of yeah. being seen as authority figures. And it's just, a, right. it's just another way of, of making that point. And it's, and it's brilliant to throw them at Napoleon because yes. then Napoleon
4: is tall.
3: Well, and they, they, they go extreme on the Napoleon jokes. He wasn't actually as short as he's portrayed now, no. But no. still. Average I, for Ian, the time. Ian, Ian, Holm. Ian Holm, who eventually Holm. plays your hobbit. hobbit. <laughs> right? that's, that was my first thought. I was like, oh my God, it's the hobbit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I was also impressed because, again, Napoleon, also in Bill and Ted, he is a figure that's like, let's visit Napoleon, which I think is interesting. And that, that, that segment, which again, a lot of this movie is a segment with a star And, you know, with some cameos in a particular thing and then they just move on to the next thing. That one. (laughs) I love the uh, entertainment that's offered for Napoleon. He's really, really enjoying the puppet show. And then the puppeteer (laughs) is shot and the puppets are reacting as the as the puppeteer has been shot. I'm sorry. That is that's just brilliant. super fun. It's great. Super fun. I wanted funny-ish. to see
5: the three idiots swallow brushes. I think that's a great <laughs> yeah. show.
2: I, I like, uh, the, there's also the the, the next, because there's the non sequiturs too, where they after the puppeteer is shot, they go, they're they like, fun on a unicycle. And, and Holm is like, mm, I don't know. I don't like fun on a unicycle. And they're like, how about the great Rombozo? He sings and lifts heavy things. And he's like, no, I don't like that. <laughs> It's like how about, and know little things that hit each other and they do me and my shadow and it's a whole thing. It's just ridiculous. It's great. The, the puppeteer getting shot
4: and falling over because it's it seems like it's part of the show until right? it's not. That is so that <laughs> it strikes me that's like a Michael Palin thing. Yes, yeah. that's his weird his own it's, weird kind of sense of humor right and yeah. and there's oh. a way if
3: that was not as well done where that scene would be entirely too long because you're like yes. why oh, are yeah. we spending so much time but there's so much to watch and so much happening <laughs> that you're just like i i could stay here for a while it's good <laughs> keep it
2: going just keep it rolling yeah that's a that's that's good stuff um they go to the Middle Ages, um, which is identified by Kevin because Kevin knows more about history than the Time Bandits do, which is great. And that's well, what and it is. These are all his obsessions. Yeah, and and so that's where we see we we see Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall, and they're in in uh, in the the in carriage, a, in a coach, and, and in this yeah. in this segment we get there's some nice moments here with Kevin explaining understanding who the Time Bandits are. Uh, we haven't done this before and he's like i thought you were international criminals and they're like going to be going to be it's aspirational <laughs> we're working on it okay we're working on it but we got fired by the supreme being because we made a dumb thing and now we fix the fabric of the universe except now we have ruined it uh you know but we get that along with you know michael palin and Shelley duvall get robbed and tied to a tree and which leads to maybe the best non sequitur in the whole movie <laughs> It's just Michael Phelan saying, "Oh no, the problem, the problem, it's, pansy. I must have fruit. It's happening again. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> uh, the problem, because because the, their dialogue is like, I, I, I'm I'm glad that you love me despite the problem. The problem. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just really good. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a scene where there's an arm wrestling and an arm pops off because." Why not? It's Rob, Little John and Robin you know, Hood does the does the arms um, off. yeah d- Robin Hood does the uh the the royals uh yes hello just good to meet you and all that jolly just, good
5: jolly yeah jolly, jolly good jolly good jolly how exactly. how
4: long have you been a, a thief four foot mm-hmm. eleven. Very oh and, good. very and, good
2: and and the guy is, is is one of his one of his merry men who st- who is unintelligible. Everything he says is like ah yeah. and then he he, start, he, he starts punching <laughs> punching them and it's like is that really necessary
4: it's like yes it is uh-huh. <laughs> okay all right and and if you noticed that's marion
2: ah mm-hmm. yes he that's says, right he Marian. calls her he calls him marion ah yes the unintelligible Marian guy let in the poor just <laughs> Matt. just nonsensical <laughs> nonsensical
5: stuff um, and punching the poor in the face when they get their stuff for I no
3: know, reason. I'm no like, explanation. For no
0: reason. Is that necessary? And the sound yes. effect
3: is so loud. Oh,
0: my God. Ow. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The
2: Agamemnon segment is interesting. So Sean Connery, he's just you know charismatic, and he's like, I can lead an army, and I uh, I got. Uh, you know, I I this kid is uh kind of nice and maybe I'll adopt him. Um he takes a lot of polaroids. Um there is a weird kind of thing where guys in gold masks come to take him away, but I guess it's okay and that was just Agamemnon's way of saying he likes him. I don't know. He doesn't seem <laughs> that bothered by it, does he? I don't know. It seems it, as watching it just as a viewer I'm like, "Uh-oh, what's going to happen here?" And the answer is no, they're just taking him to like the party. Um, Clean
1: them up, maybe. Yeah,
2: where they where they appear in costume as like guys on horses, and it's a, again, it's those are our buddies, and they do the thing where they they're like, oh, and for our last trick, we'll disappear, and they they raise the thing up, and then they go through the time door, time hole, sorry, and the thing drops, and everybody applauds, and you can see Sean Connery is just like, wait, they've been gone too long, <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is, right? Like, oh, oh well, it's very sad.
3: So Connery apparently a fan of the Pythons, and that's why he he took the part.
2: Yeah, for for basically scale and a portion of the gross. Right. (laughs) The script famously said- And they made money. Good job.
5: The script famously said, he looks like Sean Connery or an actor we can get for cheaper. A a, (laughs) a lesser, cheaper actor. And I believe
2: that's the script they sent to Connery. So it was one of those things where he's like, all right, okay, you got it." I have always been
5: convinced that they did that with a number of actors, just mm -hmm. swapping in that name. (laughs) And he was the one that
4: bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure, but he he did make a fair amount of money off it over the years.
2: Yeah, no, that was he, a good. He
4: used to talk about that. That's
2: a, I love the idea too of just making a bet on the the on those kids from from the Monty Python and being like, yeah, those kids are clever. Maybe this will be good. <laughs> yeah, and he made some money off of it for for again probably two days work, two days work. Yeah, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Two, well, maybe he had three. to go. He had to go though on location, right, Annette? Right. Yes.
1: So, uh, I've been to that, that fortress, which I was super excited when it appeared because I had to pause the movie, take a screenshot, send it to my friends, but that's in Morocco and it's a really popular filming site and you can like, you can just, it's a historical, I think it's a, it's a big historical site. You can wander all over the thing when you, they're not filming and you walk down those streets and it looks exactly like that. And still like, cause I was there in 2015 and oh. It's, yeah, it's called Ben Hadou. And uh, I think it's in like Prince of Persia. And I don't know, like tons of movies. Once you see it, you can't unsee yeah, it. You it,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it probably, it probably was you very know, that, exciting. That was probably several days for Connery right there. So like, look, he earned his money. You got to fly it
1: was, out. It's a know. day out, yeah. out of Marrakesh. So, you know. Yeah.
2: And and he got to wear
4: a little a little onesie bikini thing, kind of like Zardoz. That always hmm. made him happy. He's got that <laughs> he's got that the
2: helmet, the, the, the classic yeah. Greek helmet there. It's all which good. has
4: which has kind of a Connery look to it.
1: He's still so Sean Connery mm-hmm. though, right? Like I feel like that segment was actually a little less frenetic, in part because your bandits aren't there the whole time. Yeah. It's and like a break. It was a little like, yeah, it's like a little bit serious, and you're like lured in and thinking, uh, maybe Kevin should stay here. Uh and probably uh, he should have. Probably also, <laughs> so.
5: In the Napoleon sequence, people have French accents. So, like, the first thing you learn is, okay, we're just going to be speaking English everywhere we go. It's fine. Just deal with it. But these people have French accents. Then you get to Greece and, like, Mr. Connery will not be doing a Greek accent. Thank you for asking. (laughs) He has a king accent.
4: That's his accent. (laughs) Although much much less of the shh that we expect from Sean Connery. There like was a you fair bit
3: of it. I actually, S's. I, I kind of, I noticed the shh,
4: Oh, there's some, did, you there's know. some, but there are a few S's that actually sound like S's. It's wild. <laughs> so not Good like job, in the
2: untouchables or something.
4: Or, you know, the hunt for red October. <laughs>
2: yeah. Nash. Um, gets the DA Nash. Um, the, the, oh man, the untouchables. We haven't covered that one yet. Maybe someday. Um, the uh, the next segment is t- Titanic, which we mostly talked about. There's another Michael and Shelley Duvall bit, and hi- they they land on him and knock off his hairpiece, and then she runs away horrified because despite the thing that's on his nose, that's fine, but hi- him wearing a hairpiece is too much for her. Um, and um, is- I do yes. Sir. I do want to cast some shade on the line
5: and plenty of ice, and then pan over to show they're on the Titanic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, SS that's, Titanic. Da, da, da.
2: That's like
4: hanging about 30 lanterns. Yeah, or, or did a, a did anybody lantern not assume
2: on. they were on the Titanic when they're on a luxurious <laughs> ship? No, I assumed it.
4: Obviously. <laughs> no, it's the Lusitania. Uh, Wait,
2: but also
3: I, not a good outcome.
2: But I like that. I like that. Like I said, I like that they're all fancy and drinking champagne and wearing suits. And, and as we've now cracked the code, they obviously boarded this ship in england and and have taken it this way and there's all sorts of adventures it's a time banded version of titanic called time bandits titanic please make it Ta- happen call us apple mm-hmm. Time Bandit you titanic. know people uh so they get sent david warner who who we've seen he's the he's the the evil 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 power he sends them in a whirlpool to the time of legends which Uh, as Kevin points out, is not a real time, but it apparently is the time of legends, uh, which leads us to a very strange segment where um, they are in the water and they are picked up by a ship that is run by Catherine Hellman and her husband an (laughs) ogre. Oh, caught I love in Catherine f- Helmond. I adore her. I, oh, oh, yeah. uh, and they're caught in really a fishing angry. net, and then she and David Werner
3: are just—I could just watch them all the time. And she's
2: basically like <laughs> instructing her husband, you know, we're gonna eat, we're gonna kill and eat these people, right? That's what we're gonna do. And he's like, yeah, sure. But then they're like, we can fix your back pain, and he's like, forget about eating you. Tell me about my back pain, and they pull him out, and and then they push, <laughs> then they throw him and his wife overboard and steal the ship. But. They make his back feel better before they do that. And then the ship is worn by a giant as a hat.
5: (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I want to share one piece of (laughs) trivia I do remember from the script. Okay. The fondue song, much, much longer. (laughs) (laughs) Like six verses. Wow. The script assumed it was going to be a whole thing.
2: Oh, wow. That was a wise, wise move. They, they put sleeping, po- uh, potion in the giant and he goes to sleep and there's nice scenes of the giant stopping and kind of like, he's holding the, he takes off his hat, which is the boat. <laughs> and so, so, and they're all like being th- cut to thrown this way. It's like a Star Trek bridge scene, like thrown this way, thrown that way as the, the as he puts his hat down before going to sleep. Um, and so that's their, that's their sort of like more fantastical moment where they're in the, in the, the time of legends. The, these are like with ogres and, and giants and things like that, which is I, I kind of like because it's time bandits and they're like, yeah, time includes fairy tales. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so be-
3: before we get off Catherine Hellman, let's yes. uh, mention that the others considered for this role were Ruth Gordon, Harold and Maude, Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. and uh, Gilda Radner. Huh. I would have, Gilda or Catherine Hellman, I, either of them would have been great. Catherine Hellman, awesome. Love her. Yes.
4: And, and I love that, you know, the studio wanted either one of them because they were more famous.
2: And, and Gilliam was like, no, Catherine Hellman. She's on
1: soap right now. Are you kidding? I
3: mean,
2: yeah.
1: come on. That's how I knew yeah. her.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew her the moment I saw her. I was like, oh, it's Catherine Hellman. Like, and, and again, this was 40 plus years and ago. And then
3: she so. ends up in Brazil. which yeah, I, I was
2: going to say, he brought yeah. her back mm-hmm. for Brazil mm-hmm which because uh, you know it's, it's funny for all
4: like she's she's quite daffy and wonderful in soap and then she wound up on who's the boss where she's i mean she's she was great but it's a very conventional sitcom and yet she really works well in in gilliam's weird fantasy yes. she she yeah. gets the tone in both movies totally
3: she, she really does she's yeah i think she's a smart actress and even in i I was not somebody who watched who's the boss but whenever i encountered it i was like oh that's somebody (laughs) mm -hmm. that's somebody that might cause me to watch 10 minutes of that show but she knew where she was and i hope it bought her a lovely home
2: i'm sure it did maybe more than one
3: maybe more than one yes
2: Which leads us to the Fortress of Darkness, because they come to an invisible barrier, and they break it, and they go to the Fortress of Darkness, which, as we've already said, initially appears to be that refrigerator and Jim Broadbent and his parents, and it's isn't it amazing? And they all go run for it, except for Kevin, who realizes it's a trap, Um, but it doesn't-
4: Across the top of a labyrinth, which is such a wonderful design. I wonder about that labyrinth, because
5: uh, Brian Froud, who designed the movie Labyrinth, also did some of the work on this movie. He definitely did the uh, ship on the giant's head that made Gilliam say, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. (laughs) If he did that maze, that's the same maze as Labyrinth.
4: I -hmm. think it is. Yeah, it feels like it. Froud did a lot of stuff with a lot of the Pythons. He did several books about fairies and butterflies with Terry Jones. Yeah. He, you know, just all kinds of design work for them. So,
2: yeah, it, it's it's uh, again this is that moment where I think that that Kevin cho- not not being fooled by the trap is going to mean something. It doesn't. Um, they are put in cages. It's David Warner really who's there, not Jim Broadbent. And he takes the map, and in a moment that I think is an amazing. Ma- amazing moment of the fallacy of the talking killer he says ah at last i have the map and the day after tomorrow the world
0: <laughs> he has to learn about lasers
2: and subscription trunk dialing and
0: whatnot yeah. and computers. i mean i
4: gotta say in a movie that i love so many elements i think i love david warner in this most of all i do too i just
3: I'm in love with him in this movie. I really am. Yeah.
4: I mean, he's wonderfully evil in Time After Time, and he's good at playing evil, and this is where he gets to have fun mm-hmm. playing evil. Right? It's such a banal, yes. inane... Yes, that's the best you know, part. He's, he just wants to, you know, tell me about computers. <laughs> well,
2: <he's, laughs> What he's, about he's,
4: lasers and
2: fissile reactors? I mean, I, I'll, I'll bring up somebody, a character like, like Dr. Evil. It is the beauty of the banality he's he's your he's your like he's your dad who's the supervillain and he doesn't get it and so he's got to have everything explained to him because he's just out of touch and that's what we get with his uh, by the way with with his henchmen robert and benson which are amazing henchman names
3: (laughs) (laughs) and they just name him evil genius because why waste time giving him some sort of character name
5: and the year after this he would be uh, the various bad guys in Tron, even yes. more computer obsessed.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, but I just like, you know, I, I, now finally I have achieved the MacGuffin and that is why the day after tomorrow, I will control the world I love it. I love <laughs> and, it. And I mean, the,
4: the shift to the time <laughs> of legends is, is the first moment where you, you really go. Wait, what's going on what? here? Like, yeah, all of the other things were sort of things that Kevin was obsessed with. But now it's like, OK, this is insane. And once you get to evil, it is exactly. Yes, it yeah. is the dad. Yeah. Just, it is the boring. it is the it. Yeah. You know, this is what I think is evil. Right.
2: Yeah. The um, so good. The uh, so in a, in a scene that will frustrate Tony Sindelar. I don't know if he's seen this movie or not. <laughs> they do a lot of things with rope. That probably you couldn't do with rope. They cut parts of the rope off and tie them together and make a thing that is actually very clever where they swing to one thing and then use it as a pivot point to swing to another thing so that they can swing everybody out of this cage that they're suspended. I love the touch that the next cell over is just a skeleton. (laughs) <laughs> because they're supposed to just hang there until they die, uh, but they they swing all the way out. And although the, at the very end, because we've got the suspense of the rope is un- what's left of the rope is unraveling. Wally falls, but it's okay because he's still on the rope. And There's a moment where it's like, oh no, he's died. And then and then one of them, I think I think maybe Randall says, pull up the rope, and they're like, da, da, da. oh, he's fine. <laughs> it's like great, mm-hmm. Uh So they they save that. Um, And they've decided now to give up. They're like, we know where from the Polaroid, that's the picture of the map. We know where the time hole is. We can just get out of here. He says, but we can't because he will destroy the world. So we have to stop him. Like, all right, I guess we have to do that. Meanwhile, evil is back at it, talking to Robert and Benson. He says lines like, I feel the power of evil coursing through my veins. Um, he, he, somewhere little, around here, he says he feels good. And one of them, oh, them says, Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, sorry so sir. Sorry about that. Sorry, sir. Such a good moment. Right. I feel good. And I'm like, sorry, sir. And then later he's going, that's bad. And they're like, yes, good job, sir. Good. It is bad. Uh, but he, he's like, I will eliminate all of creation. I will scour the earth with fire. And, and, uh, and I believe Benson, one w- of the henchmen, I says, will
4: turn fjords into desert. Yeah, he says, we can
2: bake beans into peas.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and like evils evils all of his things are insane like fjords into deserts yeah. and all that and so it's already ridiculous and then you have that as the the button on can top
2: make ab- and he goes oh benson now i must turn you into a dog for a while i'm, I'm
4: so glad you are free of the bounds of intelligence
5: oh, this is God. what the supreme being has to put up with i just yeah. realized is yeah. the time bandits were his benson and robert uh-huh mm-hmm. right
2: Lots of lots of lots of dumb ideas, <laughs> like the pink bunkadoo,
5: <laughs> a six hundred foot tall tree, bright pink, smelled terrible.
2: Yeah, exactly. So Benson gets turned into a dog, um, and he tells him, "Stay, guard the map. Watch, watch the map." Uh, so they try to steal the map. Uh, evil turns uh, turns Og into a pig pigman. And then uh, Kevin says, you guys go down the time hole. Uh, uh, Og and I will stay here, Og the Pigman, and we will diver- be a diversion for you guys to escape. Uh, and so we get the, this sort of climactic fight where um, evil refers to Kevin as a very troublesome little fellow, which I really enjoyed. And then, <laughs> and then, because he's evil, I guess, he blows everybody up. He blows all of his helpers up, including the henchmen uh including the one who's a dog a cute dog and he just blows mm-hmm. him up too no. turns the pig man into a whole pig while that's happening which is very distracting because it's like whoa that pig man he's now a whole pig whoop oink, steals the map back um at, at which point like oh it is our the darkest moment and that's when everybody from history comes to the rescue uh because the time bandits have gone and brought a world war 1 tank and a knights on horseback <laughs> and archers and some sort of space fighter thing and some cowboys with lassos <laughs> and they bring them all in uh which uh is going to save the day except of course you can't defeat that evil that easily he spins the cowboys around and gets extrudes a carousel pole from his head to cut the ropes okay. and fling them away the carousel yes.
5: pole from his Head really disturbed me as a child. Uh Uh-huh. So so there's these cowboys who have lassoed him. Yes. And then there's carnival music, and his head opens up, and a really (laughs) odd (laughs) knife comes out. We were
3: at Pete Gilliam at this point. Yeah.
5: (laughs) And (laughs) it's it's very Tim Burton
4: in a way, too. Earlier, he
5: blowed people up by pulling his finger up, and you get, well, that's weird, but now he's just a fully... Inspector Gadget. Gadget. Yeah. <laughs> go, go,
2: gadget, yeah. Go-go Gadget carousel knife. Carousel <laughs> with knife. Yeah, exactly. Um, arrows fly at him from the archers, and he's like a balloon who takes all of the punishment, and then he he expands and shoots the arrows back at them um yeah. the knights charge and he puts on a gas mask and gases them then there's a lot of shooting with lasers and tanks and things yeah Fid- we ran out of gags yeah fidget is crushed <laughs> by a column which is very tragic um and which leads to the climax of the movie which is david warner surveying all the carnage laughs and laughs and then kind of explodes and is dead there's <laughs> <Problem> a <laughs> bright white light yes. and then yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's Ralph Richardson. Yes, this is the moment where the Supreme Being, now played by Ralph Richardson, comes in and says, well, folks, the movie is over. He fixes the pig. (laughs) (laughs) He tells them all to clean up the mess in here. Uh, Fidget is dead. And they're mourning Fidget. And he's like, no excuse for laying off work and brings him back to life. Uh And reveals the story, which is, you idiots didn't steal that map. I gave it to you. This was all part of my plan. I loaned it to you to test my creation. Yeah, And they're like, and this is a moment that is actually a very good, for adults, a very good moment, which is like, wait a second, all those people died because of a test? He's like, well, you know... Uh, yeah. And and I had to create evil because I think he turned out pretty well evil. And they're like, <laughs> why do we have to have evil? And he says, I don't know, free will or something, whatever. And, and <laughs> it's amazing, right? It's like, mm-hmm. is, it's all the questions you'd want to ask God. They ask God and he does not have good answers. No time for the theology <laughs> at this point. In
5: the movie guy. Looks us just uh, this is like wrap free will,
2: whatever, yada yada yada. And they're like, can we have our jobs back? And he's like, well, you're very bad at robbers. I'll cut your salary backdated to the beginning of time, <laughs> because I'm the nice one. And they're like, yes, sir. Thank you, sir.
4: May I have another?
2: Yeah, it's it's just an amazing little tour de force. What a great great bit of casting from very stately, serious English actor Ralph Richardson, who is who uh, is he, God, and he's he he doesn't care that people died and he, he had to make evil and when you ask him why evil exists he has no good answers and the end of the uh, at least of the story for the time bandits uh, i mean my, my mother
4: and i loved this movie at the time because of course she was a theologian and, yes and so this was a wonderful meditation on faith and belief and mm-hmm. good and evil and and you know and how a child would again how the child would conceive of a god very supreme being. And, you know, it, it's just, it's so satisfying because it's like, here we can resolve our movie with God, and mm-hmm. we don't have to actually deal with any of the reasons why he might do
2: that. But I like that, that they ask the questions right. I like, I yes. like that they're oh, like, yes. "Why you have to?" Because because they they let him be proud about evil. Like he's like, yeah. you know, he turned out rather well that evil. And they're like, "Why'd you create evil?" And he's like, "He, he did. He did exactly will. what I said was on the box." Yeah, whatever. I look, and I'm he was nice David one, Warner. Okay? He
3: was really good at it. He was performing it very well mm-hmm. as as well. <laughs>
2: Yeah, did a good job. That was that that really turned out. God says, or the supreme being is like, okay, uh, yeah, it's very funny. That that's 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 good stuff. That's really good stuff. I am the nice one, also a nice moment. I'm like, okay, okay. I
1: think it's a great way to end it though, too, because like, how were they going to end it anyway? Exactly. So you need something to come in, just be like loosely grab all of those loose ends yeah. and uh, basically throw them away and like say they don't matter this whole plot never really made right. sense evil and died just, on the way
2: back to yeah, his it's home like, planet yeah. okay
1: it's just, yeah <laughs> it's just like boop, boop, boop. we fixed it all up he just ties it all up and it's over and, and we don't have to worry about anything and it feels right just because that's sort of the pacing and the plotting of the movie it doesn't yeah. need to be tidy
5: yeah. it's important that the time bandits
2: don't actually succeed they're mm-hmm. clearly incompetent yes <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But they get their jobs back, but they also get a pay cut, which is hilarious, right? So it's like, no. Of 19%, which is pretty high. You're very, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> what do they, they spend, spend the money, money on? on? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's unclear
4: what that would even be. I love that God God is like, uh, was this yours? Oh, well, okay, sign here. And Kevin mm. signs as if, you know, well, that makes perfect sense.
2: He starts to sign. He immediately just pulls it away. Like, all right, that's yeah. it. Yeah so kevin so then then he, kevin's like well wait where are you going and they all disappear in a puff of smoke and then there's smoke all around him and then the smoke is in his room because his house is on fire and the fire captain pulls him out and it's sh- a- and he's saved it's sean connery is the fire captain and it showing up, up for a fourth day a fourth day well <laughs> that's because he got a percentage of the gross right so yeah, yeah. um I'll, th- I'll double cast for you why yeah. not so uh, it turns out that, that uh, his mom and dad are outside, too. They, they're they all saved. What, what, what could it be? It was in the oven. They bring out the, like, toaster oven kind of thing. And there's one of the big rocks that is a shard of evil that, that the time bandits, incompetent to the last, did not pick up and put in the disposal bin like they were supposed to. And which leads to the classic line, Mom, Dad, it's evil. Don't touch it but they touch it and explode sean connery winks and leaves <laughs> jerk come on his just blew up he, he, kevin is is in his front yard surrounded by his uh neighbors i guess as and the shoes of his parents and his partially burned out house and and we end with how we begin was a shot coming into the earth and all the way down we end with a shot that is uh reversed and, and we go out from the earth. I'll also point out it's literally reversed. The crane that's supposed to be rising was actually coming down because the yeah, smoke is the going smoke. in. It's so <laughs> it's weird instead of you coming out. Because they <laughs> apparently couldn't shoot it that way. I don't uh. know. Um and or maybe it was just meant to be weird. And that is the end of Time Band. It's it is the ultimate uh it was all just a dream. Or was or it? was it?
1: Probably not. It
2: wasn't. It wasn't. Just wasn't. It absolutely wasn't a dream because there was a bit of evil in the oven. His parents blew up picture. on the yeah. screen. Yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and I didn't see John Cleese come back and play a second well, character, Mon- did you?
2: Monty, I would say, well, yeah, I would say the interpretation could, of the, them blowing up is true in either interpretation because something made them blow up. But perhaps they just got a, you know, I don't know. Something bad from the supermarket that exploded, and I—I don't. He just looked right. at
5: the polaroids in his pocket. Yeah, it's true, It's not it's true. a dream. It's and there's literally nothing—not a dream. There's literally nothing that would naughty. make him
2: explode. So it's not a dream. But it's—it's it's the head fake, right? Where they're like, "Aha! Yeah. you see, it was just a dream." And then it's—it's it's absolutely not because the, his parents explode and he has the polaroids.
3: He carried a lot of Polaroid film with him. I'm just saying. Mm,
2: he, yeah. That is impressive.
4: He was, There's more than 10 photos.
2: Yeah, he was right. shooting a lot more than you would normally shoot if you're trying to conserve a Polaroid. Kids, you know, you, you had got, to be there. You had 10 shots yeah. in a pack. And then you had to and switch. That was it. And those packs yeah.
3: were expensive and they were kind of large. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I can't yeah. imagine Especially carrying then. like, yeah. It's
2: hard to believe. Well, it's magic. Yeah. It's magic. The time bandits had an That's unlimited supply level. of Polaroids. They stopped over at Polaroid and got some extra packs for him at some point so he could keep taking pictures of the Time Bandits.
5: I would like to praise two elements of the production design of this movie. First, the map. The map is the coolest movie prop ever. Love it. Mm -hmm. And second, the outfits that the Time Bandits are in at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) With, like, Fidget has a colander and there's a candle on top of it and Randall has a pilot's cap on for some reason and Wally has this enormous pirate hat and none of it goes together at all and it all works perfectly just to say these are scruffy people from out of time, here we go
2: mm-hmm.
5: Yeah,
3: Right, you can't place them in time and I really wanted to like when they burst in and you meet them, it's like okay, well I know, we're, I know we're going on time travel so clearly these people are from a different time what time is it? No way of knowing, no way of knowing at all
2: Mm-hmm. No, none at just, all. Just
4: just iconic looks.
2: Yeah, it's it's beautiful production design, right? Like that that is that is one of the things that I really like about it. And you know, and when I said at the beginning, you know, it's a movie that kids are really going to appreciate. It I mean, it's how I feel about the Muppet movie. When I watch it now, I love the Muppet movie, but the Muppet movie is also a picaresque kind of, you know, there is a plot because they're they're theoretically they're headed to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Via you know Saskatchewan and various other places, and <laughs> there's a you know a frog and a bear and a multicolored Studebaker, but it is also a one of those movies where it's like, look, it's not that serious, and we're going to have little adventures, and we're going to meet famous people who have little plot points, and then they're gone, and we move on to the next thing, and and that this movie is like that too. It is, it is. I think, I think less successful. As a movie that I enjoy as an adult, than some of the movies that cl- came after it that were clearly influenced by it. But what it has going for it that I think is very successful is the way it looks. Um, it's it it it's beautiful, and it's uh, and it's got lots of moments of absurdity, but it also has a lot of moments that are very much like young boys adventure where there's a lot of kind of running around and some jokes and then we just move on to the next thing and that's i think not a failing of the movie i think that is exactly what the movie is designed to be
4: yeah i mean if i I would also say the chemistry between the actors and and the characters uh again you don't see that kind of chemistry naturally a lot of the time and if you if you let yourself go with the dream logic of it it's still fun like, I, I was worried that I was going to be bored by it as, as you know, 30 years on since the last time I saw it. I loved it. I, I still loved it. I, mm-hmm. I recognize that it is not, you know, a five-star, be-all, end-all, best movie ever made, but I enjoyed it. I'll watch it again.
3: But see, I don't think it has pretensions yeah. of that kind. I mean, at the same time, it's well-crafted. All the things that Jason said about the production design, absolutely true. The chemistry... The performances, both in the cameo roles and in the bigger roles, are all great. I mean, I'm, I'm a little dazzled by this British cast. I'm just reading the cast list and going, oh my God. And then I watched it, and almost all of them lived up to it, plus the little people and the kid, who I didn't know of as, you know, as a collective group. And again, I think it can't be underestimated, at least from my point of view, that they don't make Kevin precious. They don't make him the center of the film, except to the extent that he's the POV character. So we're not always frenetic about his welfare and that sort of thing, which is why like, I give them a lot of latitude when the, the crazy stuff at the end happens where everybody dies for some reason. And yeah. I'm just sort of like, I have committed to this world already for an hour and a half. I kind of don't care. I kind of love it.
2: Monty, I know you've seen this movie a lot. You want to you wanna sum up your feelings about it now? It feels like we're um, there. Since David I and s- Shelley and I have done that, I think you and Annette <laughs> need to do that now.
5: I have seen it way way too many times to have any objective take on it like (laughs) every line delights me like my notes are things like still rather expected of one i suppose i was enjoying that i'm going in for the toaster like this this is nonsense leer at them you know the way you used to every line delights me so you know i enjoyed watching this movie i always enjoy watching
2: time Mm. Bandits. it's a time bandits it's great Fantastic. And Annette, you, you're you a first timer. What are your feelings about yes, it? Yes,
1: I I think it was really fun. And it's just one of those things I already knew going in, sort of what to expect. And I watched the trailer. So uh, it's, you just got to let go. Because I think if you try to hold on too tight and to plot or sense or anything, and if, especially knowing it's a kid's movie. And I agree with Shelley. I think kids in movies can be very trying. Um, But he was not. And then it was just a good ride. And the pacing, even like it was frenetic, but it kept things moving a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't getting bored because sometimes you get bored. But it just really reminded me of that era too. And sort of like the movies of that time and the stuff I watched as a kid. and. It just like the nostalgia of it just felt really good and it was fun and it made me laugh and
2: the, the 80s fantasy vibe and there's something about yes. it and it's not just yes it is it's it's the same vibe that you get in Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Willow and and Willow. The Princess Bride right it, like it's yep. it's that same there's something about it that the 80s fantasy feel and Time Bandits has it and it looks beautiful.
1: Yeah, and it's like if you did it like I'm just thinking if they did Time Bandits now like I'd probably watch that uh but it would be an utterly different story and have completely different mood and it would not be like this at all like i just they wouldn't they i don't think they would attempt to replicate it they would be inspired by it you'd have to reinvent uh, it yeah it's just like special
2: so so only people of a certain age Several of whom were on this podcast may I remember it, but yes. <laughs> NBC NBC did a TV series in the early eighties that was on at seven o'clock on a Sunday night, so it was in a family time slot. Oh yeah. Called mm-hmm. Voyagers. Voyagers. Exclamation point. It I, I was Mino thinking Palouse. about Voy Mino and, and and the late John Eric It it was as I was watching Time Bandits, I was thinking to myself, wow. I think Voyagers is just a time bandits ripoff. Oh, it totally is. (laughs) Like Like, like, (laughs) Voyagers had a plot. It was, you know, we have
5: to fix time.
2: Right. But it was all, and it was all for educational purposes, right? It was like, here's an important historical event that we're going to teach you about while we fix it so that it's right. But it was another thing that I thought of as being kind of like, I think very clearly inspired by time bandits. Um, Didn't Voyagers end every episode with them saying, if you'd like to
4: learn more about the French Revolution, consult your local library? Yes,
2: (laughs) it
3: absolutely
4: did. I think it borrowed a lot from the, the tone and the aesthetic, but I mean what is doctor who but a a guy and a yeah. companion traveling it, i mean it's just they changed the device i
2: had some real 80s doctor who vibes from time bandits mm-hmm. as well although mm-hmm. time bandits is much more beautiful and lavish and money was spent on it but i was thinking <laughs> i was thinking for the doctor who fans out there hi steven and erica uh, i was thinking about the five doctors the plot of the 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 tw- 20th anniversary episode the oh, five I doctors that one. which is very much like time bandits in that there's a whole bunch of scenes strung together that don't really fit uh-huh. and they're just like look we're having an adventure with people characters you recognize on to the next one and honestly that climax with david warner in the in the in the uh, dark castle or whatever it's called that the fortress of ultimate that is darkness. literally the climax of the five doctors as they get to the dark <laughs> castle and they have to solve yeah. some puzzles and some things blow up except more cheaply and it's Doctor Who, so
1: <laughs> and dancing and, robots, and
2: it's all mm-hmm. literally a game, and it is all literally a game. So, so that that I had that vibe too. That reminded me of that. I I was happy to watch this movie again. I this is not one. Of, this is the kind of movie that I would say I've never seen before, but I actually have seen this movie several times before, and uh, it's a fun movie. Um, again, if you're if you're an adult who re- remembers loving it as a kid, I will give you the caution, like. You may appreciate different things about it this time (laughs) if you watch it again, but you're not going to get the Scooby-Doo thing where you're like, oh no, this is terrible. What was I thinking as a kid? Because no, there's a lot of fun stuff in there.
3: And if you're an adult and you're an acting nerd, again, I think you're going to enjoy seeing all these people that you've seen and so many other things that are very good in this, both in cameo roles and in larger roles that you're going to go, oh my God, David Warner, how amazing. Mm
4: -hmm. I I still like Scooby-Doo
2: you like the original scooby-doo i, I watched it and yeah. i was so i was so sad about how terrible it was that's the one there that got are me some, it's like don't there are some seasons Scooby-Doo. of early scooby-doo that don't oh, work no. but like after 1980 Stay tuned for david's new nope. scooby-doo podcast oh god that's right
3: <laughs> put that chapter marker the it's called digit- it's gonna be called did you
2: see scrappy-doo <laughs> you blew it oh yeah once once you get to
4: scrappy-doo forget it mm-hmm. that's oh. that's my line
2: all right, well, uh, this has been a great summer of time travel, and maybe it will continue, or maybe this is the end. If you're working linearly, this is the end, uh, just to be clear. Uh, but uh, thank you all for taking the voyage with me and uh, through the time hole. Uh, especially, I'd like to thank my panelists for this episode. Monty, Ashley, thank you so much.
5: We risked all. We won
2: everything. It's <laughs> a line from the movie. It's a line from the movie, yeah. David J. Laurie, thank you. Or I am not Kiyu lay.
4: <laughs>
2: Shelley Brisbane, thank you.
3: I have understanding of digital watches. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and now Weirstra, thank you.
1: Just give me eight seconds and I will have that beef bourguignon ready for you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Until next time, it's evil. Don't touch it.